Hello. So just this mic, right? Is this, this is good? Uh, before we get started, make sure you have your Bibles. And if you have like a notebook or something, get out a piece of paper so we can take notes together. I encourage you to bring your Bibles and a notebook to Unicoi so that when, when Kevin's preaching, you can follow along. Take notes, pay attention. Bring your Bibles. It's the word of God. My name is Aaron. I actually grew up going to Unicoi. And I went to high school at Ayala High School. One of the weirdest things I think about going to Ayala was that they made us take this career test. Did anybody have to take a career test? They like assess your skills. They, they see what you're good at. And so that way you're supposed to know what kind of job you can do. You're supposed to find out what you can do for work. It's supposed to help you find a career. Did anybody have to do that? Not yet? Yes? Okay, good. Um, I thought that it was okay. Mm, I think that some of my skills, like, I don't know if they necessarily correlated to a job. Like I saw some things like public speaking, which I was like, okay, yeah, that could maybe be a job. Um, I don't do public speaking for a job, but whatever. And I, I also had some gifts or some talents or some abilities that I thought, oh, maybe these won't really correlate to a job. Um, I don't know. I like to play music. I like to write poetry. It's like, what good is poetry for, right? And so I wasn't quite sure how my gifts and talents and abilities would help me figure out what I wanted to do for work. I knew that God had gifted me in certain ways, but I wasn't sure about how those gifts, those talents, and those abilities would correlate to a future career. If you're like me, I think that you might struggle with this. And if you don't now, you will in the future. But I think that Jesus has something to say in one of his parables. It's the parable of the talents. And I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. If you don't have a physical Bible, don't use your phones, okay? I'll put the verses on the screen. I don't want you to be tempted by your phone. So you can just read the passage on the screen. I think that might be a wiser decision. But the passage is Matthew 25, 14 to 30. And I'm going to give you some context here. I'm going to give you some context. Listen to me as you turn in your Bibles. The thing about parables is that Jesus had two reasons for saying them. Uh, John, is there a slide that has the two reasons for parables? It should be the one before this one. Uh, go up. Yeah, there you go. Two purposes for parables. The first purpose that Jesus had for parables Parables are stories, by the way, okay? Jesus used to talk in stories sometimes. His first purpose was to kind of condemn the Pharisees because the Pharisees and the scribes, they were the religious leaders of the time and they thought they knew everything. But Jesus, by speaking in parables, he actually condemned them because he said, hey, you, you religious leaders, you're supposed to know what I'm talking about. If you don't understand this story, that means you don't really know God. You have no idea who God is and what he's like. And so that was the first purpose of parables, was to condemn the scribes and Pharisees. The second purpose was to educate and edify his disciples. Jesus would often say, 
for those who have ears, let them hear. And what he was saying was that if you know God and you understand his word, then you'll understand my words. You'll know what I'm saying. You'll see that these stories are true and they're real. And so my hope today that when we're going through this parable is that you're in the second group. You're in the group of the disciples. And I don't want you to be in that first group. So if there's problems that we see in this parable, I'm going to try to help explain those problems so we don't stumble over them. Now, in context, this parable that we're going to study, the parable of the talents, Jesus was talking to his disciples, okay? So you expect that these people would know what he's talking about. This was near the end of his life. He has them gathered together and he's like, hey, let, let, me, let me tell you some things about the kingdom of God. And so you think that they should know, okay? But remember, Judas Iscariot was also in that group too. And so I think I have some biblical warrant to say, let me try to help you so you don't stumble over some of the problems you might find in this parable. That's what we're gonna do tonight. And when we look at this, we need to have some context. This parable comes right after the parable of the 10 virgins. We don't have time to go through that one, um, but it ends by saying this. It says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Jesus is saying to keep watch because you don't know when he will return. Or to put it positively, we must be ready for Christ's return. So this is the question that we're going to ask when we look at this parable. The question is, how should we work as we wait for Christ's return? How should we work as we wait for Christ's return? Let's read this together. The parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14 to 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what I was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. 
In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This parable can be broken down into three parts to help us see what is really going on. We're going to use an outline format. So this is where you can get your pen and paper and take some notes. We're going to use an outline and we're going to see what's really happening. And this is what we're going to see. We're going to see three ways to work as we wait for Christ's return. Three ways to work as we wait for Christ's return. The first way to work as we wait for Christ's return is to recognize the gifts that God has given us. Recognize the gifts that God has given us. In verses 14 to 15, notice that the master gives. Let's read it. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. So you see that these servants, they don't just randomly have these talents. No, the master gives it to them. Now, when the Bible says talents, it's actually talking about money. Okay, talents are a unit of measurement for money. It's like a dollar. A dollar is a unit of measurement for money. A pound is a type of unit of measurement for money. So in the same way, a talent is a type of unit for measurement of money. Now, a talent is a lot of money. Let's just, let's just pretend, okay? It's like $5 million, $2 million, $1 million, okay? Well, we'll just pretend so we can understand the type of money we're talking about here. We're talking about a lot of money that the master is giving to these servants. So it would be proper for the servant to be able to say, look what the master has given to me. I recognize that the master has given me this money. I should do something with it. I shouldn't just keep it. I should do something with it. And we'll go into that later. But the first thing that we need to do is we need to recognize the gifts that God has given us. God expects us to be useful in our service to him with the gifts he has given us. We must recognize that you have been given gifts. Now, this is where the first problem comes in. The first problem, if you're following along, you should be asking yourself, and uh, Aaron, you, you just explained that this parable is about money. So why are you saying that God has given me gifts to use? to steward. Because if this parable is about money, then it seems that you're drawing a conclusion that's too far off. You should say instead, Aaron, this parable only applies to money. God, if God gives me money, then yes, I will steward that like the servants. I won't bury my money in the ground. I'll go invest it in the kingdom. So that might be a problem that you're stumbling over right now. And to remove this stumbling block, I'm going to explain to you that you're, you're sort of right. Yes, it's true. The parable is about talents or money. But remember, if we step back, it's a parable, right? So it's not, Jesus is not saying this exactly. He's saying it's like this. It's similar to this. And I think that there's biblical warrant throughout the Bible to say that when God gives us things, he definitely gives us more than money. And he expects us to use more than money when we invest in his kingdom. This is like a lot of verses that I have for you. I have four verses that will kind of explain to you what I mean, that this parable is more than money. The first one is Colossians 1.16. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you big examples and we're going to get smaller and smaller to show that God is truly sovereign over all of these things. And he's in control and he gives you gifts 
to use. So the first one, Colossians 1.16, read it with me on the screen. It says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So God owns everything in the universe. He's in charge of all of it. When he gives things to us, including the world that we live in, he's expecting us to use everything for his glory. Second verse, Colossians, uh, excuse me, Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So not only is the cosmos all of God's, but this physical earth, this physical world belongs to God. He expects us to use it as a gift that he has given to us. The next one is Psalm uh, 24. No, we just did that one. The next one is first Corinthians 6, 19, first Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So not only does God own the cosmos, but he owns this earth and he also owns your body. If you're a Christian, even more so because you have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. The last one, James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every single thing that God gives you, every good thing that God gives you in this life is a gift to be used for his glory. So I conclude that while this parable is about talents and money, it's more than that. It's about everything. This parable is about everything that God gives us in this life. It's about our lives that God gives us. It's all to be used for the glory of God. Here are 10 ways that you can think that God gifts are more than money. We're just going to go through them really quickly. God definitely gives you money as a gift. It should be used to invest back in his kingdom. God gives you the gift of time. As students, you might think, oh, I don't have a lot of time I have to study. But the reality is you have the most time in the world. You shouldn't just be using it for yourself or for school only, but you should be using it for kingdom purposes. Third, God gives you actual talents. Some of you guys actually have skills and abilities that God has given you. They're not for you to be popular or to be cool or to be famous. They're for you to be used for God and to make him popular and glorious and famous. Fourth, God gives you grades. And what I mean by this is that God gives you the ability to make good grades or bad grades. He gives you the ability to make grades. Use and steward and find ways that you can use your grades to give glory to God. For instance, if you get an A on a test, you say, this was God's work. It's God who gave me the time to study. It's God who gave me the, the computer to use and the ability to think critically. Everything that you have has been given to you by God, including your grades. Next, God gives you the gift of relationships. You have certain people in your life that only you have in your life. I don't know the people that you have in your life. Those people, they're God's gift to you and you're God's gift to them. You're to use those relationships to give glory to God. Point six, God gives you success. When God gives you the gift of success, you are to say, dear God, thank you for this it's not mine, it's yours. Seven, God gives you the gift of failures. And you might think, well, failure, that's not a gift. 
but you know that for those who love God, all things work together for good according to his purposes in Christ Jesus. And so you can say that Jesus is still worth more than your bad grades. And you can say that that's a gift to you because it makes you value Jesus even more. And if you want to be practical, it means that you can get more motivation to study harder and to thank God that your life is not dependent on one bad grade or one failed class. Next. God gives you different trials in life. And what I mean by trials, I mean all the bad things that happen in life, anything difficult that comes your way. Sometimes it's hard to see God's sovereign hand over it, but it's true that God directs everything in our paths. And so when bad things happen, when trials come our way, we can say that God is still good in it. And he uses those trials to refine and perfect our faith. So we are stronger in Jesus. Next, God gives you the gift of health. Not everybody is able to come out to Unicoi, and we should be more aware than ever that with the midst of a global pandemic, that health and the ability to go out and the ability to have fun with people and to make relationships and to just do things together is a gift and a privilege that we need to use well and give back to God. Finally, God gives us life. No matter what, if you're living it's a gift from God. Life is precious, incredibly valuable. Your gift of life is, is, you can't put a price on it. It's more than words can say. And so if you are living today, then God has given you the gift of life. Don't waste it. These are 10 ways God's gifts are more than money. You can think of others on your own, but this is just to kind of get you started. We need to move on. But to repeat, the first way we can be ready for Christ's return is by recognizing the gifts that God has given us. Next, the second way to work as we wait for Christ's return is to be fruitful stewards, to be fruitful stewards. Now, I'm going to explain what this means. When I say fruitful, I mean productive. I mean we, we make things. And when I say stewards, I mean that we take care of things. I mean that God has given us something, and we're supposed to take care of it. We're in charge of it. We're supposed to watch after it, look over it. So we're supposed to be fruitful stewards. Let me show you the verse and let me prove to you that this is true. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. And so you ask, well, how did they make these talents? Well, you know, we're talking about money. So maybe they invested the money. Maybe they they traded certain things. I don't know. But the point is that they had money to begin with, and they were productive with it. They were fruitful with it. They made something out of it. And verse 18, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So you see these two polar opposites, right? You see the good stewards who are making things with the money and the talents and the gifts that God has given them. And then you see the bad one or the third servant and he hides his money. He doesn't do anything with it. He just buries it in the ground. Worthless, useless, worth nothing. So that's my second point is that we need to be fruitful stewards of the gifts that God has given us. Now, there's a problem again. And the problem is, was it fair? Was it fair that the master gave differently? Okay, because if you think, right, all right, this guy, he had like five talents, he had like $5 million, he had five gifts and abilities, of course he's going to make a lot more, 
But this guy that had one talent, like, how is he supposed to make as much money as this guy? That's not fair. It's not right. Seems like we have a little problem here. And I would say that it, it, it sounds like a problem, but it's not a problem, really. I think, I think that might be the point of it all. Look at the verse again, and you're going to see that there are different talents, yes, but what does God do for the first and the second one? It says that the master, it says that the master, he still gives the same answer to the first and second servant. Okay, it's not in that slide, but he gives the same answer. I think go to the next slide, it might be there. Go to the next slide. No? It's okay, John. Just hit the next slide and let's see what happens. <laughs> okay, so we have the first master. We have the first servant who invests his five talents. And we have the second servant who invested two talents. The master says the same thing to them. He says, well done, good and faithful servants. You've done well. He doesn't judge them based on how much they made. He says the same exact thing to them. And so here you have two implications, two implications for comparison and contentment. Now, listen closely. This might be the most important part of the sermon for some of you because you struggle intensely with comparing yourself to others. You say, God, it's not fair. I don't have the gifts and abilities. You have not blessed me like you have these other people. How do you expect me to do things for you? How do you expect me to do things in my life? How do you expect me to be fruitful stewards when you've only given me this amount? And I'm here to tell you that it, God gives us according to what he thinks is right. Okay, in the verse, it says he gives us according to our abilities. We don't have to compare ourselves because God knows what is best and has a plan for us and for others. The master knew that it was right to give one servant five. The master knew that it was right to give one servant two. He didn't ask them, how much do you want? What do you want to do? No, he said, you're getting five, you're getting two. In the same way, God gives you the talents and gifts and abilities that you have. You don't have to compare yourself to others because you can say that God has made you exactly that way, the way that he has made you. You don't have to be sad about it. You can rejoice in it because you can do the exact thing that God has made you to do. He's made you with purpose and you can fulfill that when you embrace the way that God has made you. You don't have to compare yourself to others. Here's the other thing that you might have and it's contentment. Contentment means being satisfied with your life. And so some of you, you might be saying, I'm not satisfied in this life. I wish that I could achieve more. I wish that I could do more. And in this parable, you see that God doesn't reward differently. God doesn't say, hey, you, you, you made this much more or you did this much more. So you're going to get more blessings from me. No, God doesn't work that way. God says, hey, I gave you this much. You, you did this with that. Great. You, you were good with that. Cool. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Same thing, right? With the guy who had two. So five and two, same exact answer. 
well done, good and faithful servant, into the, into the joy of your master. We can be content because God does not reward us based on our merits. God does not reward you based on how good you are. God, God rewards us. He gives us heaven based on Jesus Christ alone, on his accomplishments and his doings, on his life. We don't have to be discontent in this life because we know that in the future, our rewards are all the same. We all get Jesus. We all get heaven. And when we get Jesus and we get heaven, nothing else compares. It doesn't matter if people have more money than us here. It doesn't matter if, if we think that they're more blessed by God. It's not true. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we have everything. You don't have to be discontent in this life. You are a son and daughter of the king. You get the world. You don't have to be discontent. We have to move on. But that second point is that we don't need to compare. We can be content. We can be ready for Christ's return by being fruitful stewards of the gifts that God has given us. Next. And lastly, we can be faithful servants. We can be faithful servants. The third way to work as we wait for Christ's return is to be faithful servants. In verses 19 to 30, the accounts are settled. The master comes back and expects answers. He wants to know what his servants have done with the gifts he has given them while he was away. Did they waste them or did they use them? He expects loyalty and fidelity and faithfulness. We can be ready for Christ's return by being faithful servants. And to stress this point, I want us to look at that third servant. I want to see what happens there. God casts the third servant out into outer darkness. Okay, let's read this. He, he also, who had received the one talent, okay, the, the third guy, right? The bad servant. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Okay, so these words that, that we see here, this being afraid and this hiding that's not being faithful to God. That's being unfaithful. That's not being loyal. That's being disloyal. That's not being true to your master. That's being untrue to your master. And so my point is that we need to be faithful servants. We, we need to have an allegiance towards our master, towards God. This third servant, he, he buried his gift in the ground. God is going to judge those who do not use their gifts for his glory. This should be a warning to us. You should take this seriously. You should be scared because if you don't use what God has given you, this parable says that he, the master, cast those people out into outer darkness. Now, this is where we have one more problem, okay? One more problem. Listen. Is the master truly hard? Is the master truly a hard man? Because you have the third servant, right? You have the third servant. And if you read his words, it says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. I, I knew that you would come back and you would expect these things. So I was scared. I, I just hit it in the ground. Uh, I, I think that you should be okay with that because I know that 
that you're, you're harsh, right? You're cruel. And I don't want your wrath on me. And so here, just, just take your money back. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't use it. I didn't spend it. It's intact. It's exactly the way it was before. Don't, don't be mean to me. Don't be cruel. Don't be harsh. And if you take this parable like that, then the correlation is that God is mean and harsh and cruel. And I think we have a problem there because we know that that's not the way God is. So how do we reconcile this problem? After studying it, I think that we can find an answer. Let's read the verse again, okay? Let's read the verse. This is important, okay? Because if if the master really is hard, then then that means God is is mean, okay? And we need to to figure this out. Let's read it. He who also, who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he who will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is what happens. The master, sa- the, the master says, you think that, that I'm mean and I'm harsh? Okay, well, if I'm really mean and harsh, then what you should have done is that you should have went to the bank and you should have invested it. Okay, I'm not asking you to be an entrepreneur. I'm not asking you to go and, and, and build this crazy temple. No, I'm just, I'm just saying that if, if you really thought I was so mean, you would have at least took it to the bank and just, just accrue some interest, okay? Because when you, when you give money to the bank, then normally you get, like, you'll make money that way. But you'll notice that this third servant, he didn't even do that. He just buried it in the ground. And so what the master does is he does something that Jesus often does to the scribes and Pharisees is that he, he traps them in their own words, right? He says, oh yeah, if you really thought that, then you should have done this instead. So here in the parable, this third servant condemns himself. And we see that the master, he has words for the servant. He says, hey, you think that I'm harsh? You think that I'm hard? Well, you are wicked and slothful and worthless. And I think that if we study these words, we might get a little bit understanding about this because just, in, in, you know, by reading them, they, they seem harsh, right? They're like, well, well, Aaron, you're saying it's not harsh. These are really harsh words, but let, let's look at this. Okay. When, when we say wicked, okay, this is a character judgment on his heart. Okay. The master is saying, Hey, you're bad. You are evil. So it's not just your actions, but it's, it's who you are as a person, you wicked, evil, slothful servant. You are bad. And the correlation to this is in Matthew. It says, um, this is another parable. Um, this is the parable about, uh, um, about a debt that was owed. Mm. And it's the same thing. This person was just so mean, so wicked, so evil, that he would just charge somebody a, a debt that, that could have been repaid. And so 
the master in the parable we're talking about, he's saying that, hey, it's a heart problem. That's what he's saying. Okay, and the word slothful here, it's saying that they're lazy, they're idle. Okay, it's not just saying that, oh, you need a break. But no, this is who you are. You're a lazy person. You're a slothful person. That, that's in your heart of hearts. That's who you are. That, that's, your, that, that's your character. That defines you. And if you look elsewhere in the Bible, you'll see that a mark of a true Christian or a true servant of Jesus, they're not lazy. They're not idle. They work hard for Jesus. And so in the parable, the master is looking at this person's heart. He's not just looking at his actions. He's looking at his heart. Finally, worthless. Worthless means useless and unworthy. And you think that like, oh yeah, the guy's useless. He's worthless. But the way that Christians are supposed to be is that we do things, but in our minds, we know that we're useless and worthless apart from God. And so it's not that the guy thinks that he's worthless. It's not that the servant thinks that he's worthless, but it's that he really is worthless. He just doesn't do anything. The, the Christian is humble, okay? So you Christians do things for God, but have the right mindset that says, hey, I, I don't deserve this, but I'm going to work hard for God. I'm going to be a faithful servant for God, undeserving. Don't let that define you, but let that be your mindset. And so that's why in the parable here, the master calls him worthless. It's because he true, truly is worthless in his heart. And so the master is not hard and not harsh by casting him into outer darkness. It's fitting. It's fitting. The servant does not love or cherish his master. This servant, this third servant, he thinks that he knows the master. He thinks that he knows the master to be hard and cruel. But in reality, he's not. In reality, the, the master is kind. He's good. He gave them money to invest in his kingdom. He expects them to use them. And when he returns, he says, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into my joy. Good job. Uh, I think that I think that the right mindset for us is that we shouldn't see God as being hard or harsh or heavy-handed. We should look at our hearts and we should say, do we really know God? Do we think that he's hard and harsh or do we really know who he is? Because when we know who he is, we'll want to do things for him. We won't just bury our gifts in the sand. We'll act for him. Again, the master is not hard. He's good and kind. We can be ready for Christ's return by being faithful servants. Now, I want you to think about this. If we draw this parable out to its full potential, the master is supposed to be God. The servants are supposed to be us. The master actually died for these servants. He actually gave his life for these servants. And when this master... When he returned back from his journey and he expects all, you know, a prophet or the, the talents to be given back to him, he says, enter into my joy, have my kingdom. It's all yours. Take it. Live with me. Be with me forever. You are no longer my slaves and servants, but you are my sons and daughters. I'm going to adopt you. I bought you. I died for you. And now 
you can have everything. I think that when we view the parable this way, it put things into the proper perspective. This is the main truth for tonight. Okay, this is the most important thing. We must work as faithful servants and fruitful stewards of the gifts that God has given us while we wait for Christ's return. We must work as faithful servants and fruitful stewards of the gifts that God has given us while we wait for Christ's return. I have applications for you. These are super broad, okay? Because when we're talking about gifts, we're talking about how God has uniquely gifted you. So I can't make specific applications for you. That's something for you to talk about in your small groups. But these are some general ones. The first one, recognize your giftings, be thankful for how God has gifted you, and surrender your gifts to God. Some of you here think that you belong to yourself. But if you have the proper perspective of God being our master and our maker, then you know that all of life is to be given to God and all of your gifts and talents arts and abilities are to be given back to him. So identify your giftings, recognize how God has made you and then surrender them back to God. Next, be a faithful servant, be a faithful servant. So what does this look like on a broad scale? It means you look for opportunities to do God's work. You're faithful to him. You're loyal to him. You say, God, I'm your servant. What can I do for you? It would be my pleasure to serve you. Give God your best. So don't do things half-heartedly. When you're working for God and you're a faithful servant, you will try your absolute best to please him. You won't give him your leftovers, but you will give him 100% of everything that you got. Next, you will be a fruitful steward. You will be a fruitful steward, meaning that you will invest in eternity. And what I mean by that is you'll have a kingdom perspective, okay? Because you can think, oh, fruitfulness, that means doing things for here, for earth, for the world. But that's not necessarily what I'm saying. I'm saying that you look in the future to heaven and you invest in treasures where moth and rust do not destroy where thieves can no longer steal. You invest in souls, you invest in people. These are the things that will have lasting impact. These are the ways that you can be truly fruitful in this life. And then finally, serve your family, your church, and your immediate community. And what I mean by this is that when I say be fruitful, Stewards, you're thinking, oh, that means do good things in the world. I need to make an impact here. And what I'm saying is not, not, not really. No, you serve where God has put you. Be faithful in the little things, and God will put you over much. Be faithful and fruitful here. Here in your family, serve your parents, your brothers and sisters. Find ways that you can help at home. Maybe some of you are stronger than those in your family. You can help with certain things. Maybe some of you are better at fixing computers or technology. Maybe you can help your family doing this. There are little ways that God has gifted you, and you can find little ways to serve your family. And then also at church, uh, it'd be remiss to say that you, you need to serve your church community. This is 
our local church. Don't try to do God's work outside of the church and be some sort of Christian influencer. Be here. Be here with brothers and sisters that you know and that you can live life with. This is where you need to invest in your brothers and sisters in Christ that you see every single week, sometimes at school too. And then finally, be a fruitful steward in your local community. And what I mean by that is in your school, but also in the extracurricular activities that you do, whether it's sport or art or music, there are people in your life that God has placed you with. Find ways to invest in them. They are important to God. Find ways to be fruitful as you steward those relationships. This is the irony. The irony is that I was trying in high school to figure out what I would do for work. But maybe the most important question I should have been asking is who do I work for? Do I work for myself? Do I work for money? Do I work for the approval of others? Do I serve my grades? Am I a slave to straight A's? Do I seek perfection in my life and I'm controlled by all of this? Or do I serve God? Do I put him first? Do I seek him as my master and Lord and the ultimate treasure in my life? Ask yourself this question. It will help you determine your priorities and it will help you see where you truly stand with God. Your gifts and callings will change in your life. The college that you go to doesn't have as much of an impact as you might think. What matters most importantly is that you seek to worship God and you seek to obey him and you're, you're faithful to him no matter what situation he puts you in. Serve God only. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money God and grades, God and popularity, God and being liked, being accepted, being cool. Seek to be a servant. It's the most important thing in this life. And when you do that, when you see that God is your master, if you truly know him, if you truly know him, then you'll want to serve him. You'll want to serve him. And you'll be able to say, it's not even me that's doing the serving, but it's God who gives the growth. And so working, it's not even hard. God will work in and through you to do what he wants you to do. And you'll see that the greatest gift that God gives you is the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of knowing God himself. You'll be satisfied with a life of service to the king. And in this life of servanthood, it's just a reflection of how Jesus was the true and better servant. Philippians 2, 7 to 8, it says this, 
It says Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is my gospel invitation to you. Jesus Christ was our suffering servant. We sin. We do bad things in this life. We have idols in this life. We serve other things. We serve ourselves, but we don't serve God. But Jesus came in the form of man. He took on flesh. He became a slave for us. He died on the cross in our place. He took our sin, all the bad things that we do, and God punished him for it. He bore God's wrath. When he died, God's wrath was satisfied. It was finished upon the cross. And when Jesus Christ rose and was resurrected again, the wrath of God says, it's done. Everyone who has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ is now adopted into my family. And you are no longer slaves to sin, but you are free sons and daughters of the king. This is the gospel that Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you. As your master, yes, but as your Lord and Savior and treasure and friend. If you believe this, then you can have eternal life with him. And you can be satisfied as a servant, not as someone who's like crushed upon by the world, but you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You will find that Jesus is calling to you now. Work will not be a burden for you. He says, come to me, all who labor and are the heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And with that in mind, this is my charge for you this evening. We must work as faithful servants and fruitful stewards of the gifts that God has given us while we wait for Christ's return. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you brought to our attention that you have given gifts. You grant them to your children. Your glory is in this, that while we'll try our best to steward and to serve. It's you who gives the growth. So when you will return, may we be found as faithful. And may you say, well done. We will enter into joy and everlasting love. We'll thank you for the gifts. You're generous and kind. But our greatest treasure is knowing Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks.